tell you a story as we start today about a Sunday school teacher. She was teaching a class. I think they were like third grade, fourth grade, somewhere along in there. And, uh, and she's, she, she asked them a question to start off. She said, what is gray and has fur and a fuzzy tail and loves to climb trees and eat nuts? And one little boy raised his hand, you know, he wants to answer. And she says, okay, Johnny, what's, what's the answer? And he says, well, teacher, it sounds a whole lot like a squirrel. But since we're in Sunday school, the answer must be Jesus Christ. And today we're going to talk about Jesus. Now, I think that sometimes the church gets a bad rap for saying Jesus is the answer to everything. That's not really what we believe, but he's the answer to a lot. And he is the important, the central figure in the Christian faith. So today as we continue our series on the basics of the faith, we're going to talk about Jesus Christ and who he is. In fact, that's the question I want to raise today. Who is Jesus Christ? And I hope that we answer that question today. You know, he's a real figure in history. Historians uh, uh, have, have documented the fact that he lived. There are a number of writers from all the way back within a hundred years of Jesus' crucifixion that talk about Jesus being a figure in the Jewish community in Israel. Now, not all the writings are positive about Jesus. Some of them, in fact, are very negative. But they attest to the fact that he existed. Uh, Thallus attested that Jesus lived, that he was crucified, that the day he was crucified, there was a, a darkness that came over the land and an earthquake. Uh, Tac- Tacitus uh, called uh, him the Christ and said that uh, his followers were Christians and that he was uh, executed under uh, Pontius Pilate. Uh, there was a uh, bear Cyprian said that he was a wise king. The Jews wanted him dead. But his teachings remained even after his death. Pliny the Younger is another one. Talked about his followers who thought he was God. And there are several others. Josephus was a prominent historian of of Judaism and of the nation of Israel. He was a military commander and he was a historian. He wrote extensively about the history in in the first century. And he said of Jesus that he did exist, that he was a wise man, that his followers reported that he was raised from the dead. So there are a number of people, none of these are Christians, that attest to the fact that a man named Jesus, who who followers claimed was the Christ and that he raised from the dead, did exist in the first century. There are other accounts about Jesus. In fact, eyewitness accounts that attest to Jesus' existence. We know them as the books of Matthew, Mark, and John in our Bible. Now, you say, why did I skip Luke? Luke was not an eyewitness, but Luke did testify that he had researched through eyewitnesses of Jesus in what he wrote. Even Mark, though he was not an apostle, uh, if you read the Gospel of Mark in chapter 14, Verse 51, he talks about when Jesus was arrested, there was a young man there 
that was afraid of the Roman soldiers, and he ran away, leaving his cloak behind. Uh, that's Mark's subtle way of telling us he was that young man that watched Jesus be arrested and crucified the next day. So we have these eyewitness accounts that Jesus did live in the first century. It's well accepted by most prominent historians in the world today. But today we're going to take a little deeper look at who is Jesus. Not that he just was a man and that he existed. Let's, let's see and learn more about who Jesus was. Turn with me to John chapter 1 in your Bibles. Now John, of course, was one of the apostles. He was one of the closest apostles to Jesus. He was part of Jesus' sort of inner circle of three men. It was John, his brother James, and Peter, uh, the leader of the apostles. And Jesus would sometimes take them off apart from the other apostles and teach them privately. They were present when Jesus was transfigured. And so they were a, a close inner circle with Jesus Christ. John is very creative in his writing. In fact, it is said of John's gospel that it is, it is more spiritual than the other three gospels. And John has these themes that run through his gospel. Uh, we're going to talk about some of those themes today as, as we discover who Jesus is. So let's look together here in John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, in order to really understand that, we've got to drop down to verse 14. And verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Now in the beginning here, I want us to focus in on verse 1 and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, what does it say? Was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh. Now, I want you to think about this for just a minute, what it's saying. We learn in verse 17 that the word that he's talking about is Jesus Christ. In fact, if you look on down at verse 18, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father and has made him known. Who is himself God. God. It's the first thing I want you to think about. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. He's God in the flesh. From the beginning, Jesus had been with God, and he became flesh. Colossians 1.15 backs this up. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. If you look, if you have an NIV version, and some other versions do this, the word word is capitalized as though it were a proper name. Jesus is 
the Word. Now, we have to think about this for just a minute because this was originally written in Greek in the New Testament, and the word, word, is logos in the Greek language. Now, logos had special meaning. It wasn't just a common word on a paper. Logos had to do with, of course, the spoken word, but also the word still in the mind, the reason of a person, the thought of a person. And to the Jews, the word, word, had special meaning because it is through the word that God spoke that the universe came into being. So you think about this special uh, word, word, logos. It means something. In fact, we read here in verse 3, through him all things were made. Go to Hebrews uh, or Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For in him all things were created. Go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. Through whom also he made the universe. It's a reference to the Son, Jesus. Jesus is God. God made the universe through him. Jesus is the God-man. Now think about that for just a minute. He is fully God, but he is fully man. Think about what it means to be fully man. You feel pain and pleasure. We, we all feel joy and sorrow. We feel hunger and fullness, disappointment and satisfaction. We laugh and we cry. Jesus had all of that. He felt every emotion that you feel. He felt every feeling, every pain, every joy, same kind of way you do. He was fully man, but he was also fully God. He had all power. He had power to raise the dead. He had power to change water into wine. He had power over everything, the universe. He was responsible for it being in place. And he had knowledge. People often, he he knew their thoughts before they knew their thoughts. He commented on things that he knew people were thinking about. Peter said of Jesus, you know all things, Lord. You know all things. So this, this person, this Jesus, who we call the Christ, he is fully God. He is God. But now I want you to think about a second thing. If you look back in our text, look at John chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome it. You know, life and light are two more themes that we find in the book of John. In fact, those words are used quite often. Life, 46 times in John. Light, 16 times in John. Jesus is the light. Jesus is God. Jesus is also the light. The life in Jesus is the light to all people. That's what this is telling us. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Now, what does it mean to be light? Well, you think about what light does. Light illuminates things. You know, if we didn't have the lights on in here, it would be dark. You wouldn't be able to take notes on my sermon. You wouldn't be able to see your bulletin. Light illuminates. It also reveals. You know, you turn a light on and you're able to see what's there. Uh, it also exposes. Sometimes the light gets turned on when you don't want it to be turned on. Or you get up out of bed and you look in the mirror and you say, turn the lights out. I don't want to see. Verse 5 says, the light shines in the darkness. Now, often when you see light and darkness in the Bible, they're used figuratively. The light stands for God and the goodness of God. The darkness stands for evil and Satan and, and the evil things in this world. People often think, Excuse me. Evil, um, darkness and light are opposites, but they're not really opposites. Darkness is the absence of light. So when you don't have light, what you have is darkness. So when you don't have the light of God, you have the absence of God. That's what darkness is. And the Bible in Ephesians 6, 12 talks about our struggle being against not not flesh and blood, but the authorities, the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil. That's what darkness is. But you know what? Darkness can never overcome light. You can take the smallest of lights, just a little tiny light in a, in a dark room where you can't even see your hand in front of your face, and you turn on that little tiny light and you're able to see your hand. This was made real to me one night. The power went out several years ago. And um, I first thought I had, you know, I woke up and I wanted to go outside. There was a bad storm. And except when there was lightning, you know, you had no light around anywhere. I wanted to see if there was any damage anywhere to the house or look around and see what was going on. And, and I got up and I couldn't think where a candle was. And if I would have found a candle, I didn't know where a lighter was, so I couldn't light it. Then I remembered my cell phone. Got a flashlight on my cell phone. So I picked up my cell phone, turned my cell phone on, hit the flashlight button, and nothing happened. Hit it again, nothing happened. Kept hitting it, flashlight wouldn't come on. And then I thought about my Bible program that I have on my phone, and it's got a white page. And I pulled up that Bible program and it illuminated the whole room. And I remembered that verse in Psalms 119.105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Literally, God's word was a light to my path going through my house. And I thought, how cool is that? But figuratively, his light, his, his word is a light to show us the way to live life. This is, this is that word. He is a light to us to help us live the life that God has called us to and to help us see who God is and to know God. In fact, without Jesus, you cannot really fully, truly know God. Jesus said in John 14, 6, um, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is God, 
Jesus is light. It shows us the way to God. There's one more idea I want us to think about. Look at John 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. He didn't just become a person. He came down and lived here on earth. And what I want you to see now is that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus came to earth as a person in the flesh. Now we hear that word Christ. That's not really his name. That is his title. Okay, the word Christ comes from the Greek word Christos. In the Hebrew is the word Messiah. Both mean the same thing. They mean anointed one, which means king. He's anointed by God to be king over God's people. That's what Christ means. And Jesus is that Christ. And there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that point us to this coming Christ Messiah figure that's going to be a real person in history and is going to lead God's people. In fact, you go back in the Scripture, uh, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and he talks to Satan, and he says, there's a son coming, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, his heel was struck with a nail and a hammer. But Jesus crushed Satan when he rose from the grave, because Satan's thing is to bring death. But Jesus brought life. Deuteronomy 18, 15, God told Moses, I will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. That was a messianic prophecy that pointed to Christ. 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13 uh, talks to David and says, when, when your days are over, I'm going to raise up an offspring to succeed you, and he's, he's going to be on your throne forever. That's Jesus who sits on the throne of David in heaven over God's people forever. Isaiah 7, 14 prophesied that he will be born of a virgin. Listen to Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on. And forever the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It's a pointing to this Messiah, King, ruler of God's people. Listen, our hope is not in a blue donkey or a red elephant. Our hope is in a white lamb named Jesus Christ. Micah 5, 2, prophesied he'd be born in Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said to the people, he said, listen, I have not come to abolish your law and prophets, your Old Testament. I've come to fulfill them. And he fulfilled all those 300 and some prophecies that God had given to people as they wrote the Old Testament, pointing to the fact that he would be their leader. He would be their Messiah, their Christ. In Matthew 16, verse 15 through 17, Jesus asked his apostles, 
who do you say that I am? Peter, the leader of the apostles, jumps up and says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, you are correct, and that was not given to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Jesus is the Christ. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood before thousands of people, and he preached. And he told the people, this Jesus, you crucified him, is both Lord and Christ. And the people, it says, were cut to the heart. It touched them. They believed. And they said, what must we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And by means of that, you are forgiven. You repent and baptize. Your, your sins are wiped away. Your relationship with God is restored. And He then becomes your Lord, your leader, and your Savior, your forgiver, that takes away the condemnation that is due to all people because of sin. Here's our connection. The on, that only through Jesus Christ can we have the right relationship with God and know eternal life. This Jesus who is God, who is light, who is Christ, he's our Lord and he's our Savior. It's not about a list of rules. It's about a relationship. That we come to know Jesus through prayer and study of His Word and reading His Word and listening to teaching and reading about teaching on His Word. And in doing so, He gradually, day by day, little by little, creeps into your heart and begins to work and to change your life and mold you to be the person that God wants you to be. There's a man in Washington some years ago named Arthur Burns. Arthur Burns was the United States Federal Reserve Chairman for a while. Uh, he served under several presidents. He eventually was appointed ambassador to Germany. And he was a man of considerable gravity. Well respected in Washington. He served in presidents from Dwight Eisenhower to Ronald Reagan. And... When he spoke, people listened, though he was soft-spoken. But he was also a Jewish man. He was from the Jewish faith. And as it would be, he joined a group of people uh, in Washington, Christian politicians, men, who started a little Bible study every week. And he would attend this Bible study uh, a week at a time, uh, every week. But everybody respected that he was Jewish, and when they prayed, they prayed in the name of Jesus, but they never asked Arthur Burns to have the prayer. And one day they had a new teacher come in that didn't know Arthur Burns, didn't know he was Jewish, and he taught the lesson. And then afterwards, he asked Arthur Burns to have a closing prayer. And everybody thought, oh, what's he going to say? I want to read you the prayer as recorded by Oz Guinness in his book, The Call, finding and fulfilling the central purpose of your life. And this is what Arthur Burns prayed. Lord, I pray that you would bring Jews to know Jesus Christ. I pray that you would bring Muslims to know Jesus Christ. 
Finally, Lord, I pray that you would bring Christians to know Jesus Christ. Amen. That's my prayer today. I pray for you to truly and sincerely come to know Jesus Christ. He is God. He is light. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And He can be your Lord and Savior. Will you make it so? Let's pray. Father, I thank you today. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for your word that reveals him. I thank you for him being the word that became flesh. I thank you that he is you walking around among people to reveal you, to be that light. I thank you that he is our Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord and the Savior of your people. And I pray today that people in this room would come to know Him as Lord and Savior. And they would come to take Him out to a world that others would know Him in that same way. And I lift it all up to you. In His strong and mighty name I pray. Amen.